Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. The name of the message is His Working, His Working, Laboring by God's Power. His Working, Laboring by God's Power. Look at Colossians 1.29. We will be finishing this chapter this week, and Lord willing, next week we will continue our journey in chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 2. Colossians 1.29. Let's read it in context of 27 to 29. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among you, or among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So tonight's verse is, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which, he, which, which worketh in me mightily. Last week we looked at verse 28 which declares, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And we looked at who we preach. Right? Whom we preach. And we connected that with the verse before that, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We preach Christ and Him crucified. This is our one mission, is to proclaim Christ and what He has done in the sinner's room instead. We warn every man. Look, it says, warning every man. We warn every man. The general call goes out to all men to repent and turn to Christ. Then we look where it says, in teaching every man in all wisdom, we looked at how the Holy Spirit teaches all those who are God's sheep and that one day they will be presented be presented in Christ, faultless before the throne of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, I talk with a lot of religious folks. I've talked with a lot of religious folks in Oregon. I, I was a religious person very much before the Lord saved me. I talk with a lot of religious folks in Oregon, talk with a lot of religious folks here. And one thing seems to be prevalent among them all. It's this. What are you doing or what have you done for Jesus? What are you doing or what have you done for Jesus? They do not talk about the Savior, about what He's accomplished, about what He's done, but they continuously ask, what have you done? And that other Christians, or people who they, they, they believe are Christians, that they don't do enough for Jesus. They don't do enough for Jesus. Well, when we tell them that we are resting and reposing in Christ Jesus alone, often the reply is, well, what about your works? What about your works? Turn, if you would, to James chapter 2. What about your works? Certainly, you have to do something. I remember talking to someone in Oregon, and I said, well, I just... Preach and proclaim Christ and tell the sinner to rest in Christ and Him alone. And I tell believers to do the same thing. We've, we've talked about what, what, what is witnessing, right? Just telling the great things that God has done for you. 
when the Lord opens the door and gives you the opportunity to talk. We just tell people what God's done for us. Look, Christ saved me from all my sins. He redeemed me. I couldn't save myself. My mighty Savior saved me. He saved me. He redeemed me. So what do we do? We brag about what he's done, about his works, about his works. Now, do Christians do works? Yes, yes. We, most of the time, we don't even know when we do them. But look at James 2, verses, we'll look at 17 to 24. Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works which he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? In the scripture was fulfilled, saith Abraham, believe God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So now the main difference between grace and religion is this. That any works that we do, we believe that they are all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. All done in the power of the Holy Spirit and they, they will gain us absolutely no merit and favor before God. If we do anything, we do it out of a grateful heart, beloved, for what our great King has done for us. That He's redeemed. Now, I believe that works are evidence of faith. They're evidence. And I believe that's what James is saying here. James isn't contradicting Paul. Not at all. Not at all. Our works are evidence of our faith. Hence, faith without works is dead. When James speaks of being justified by works as well as by faith, he has in view that those works which show faith to be real and vital. It proves our... Brother Henry Mahan says... It proves our faith. It proves it. That it's real. <laughs> evidence. There's evidence that we're born again. Do you desire to read your Bible? Do you desire to pray? Do you desire to be with the brethren? Do you desire to come to church and hear the gospel proclaimed? You didn't before. <laughs> Brother Matt, you and I have talked about that many times. We didn't before. Now we love it. Nowhere else we want to be but under the sound of the gospel. So when James speaks of being justified by works as well as by faith, he has in view that those works show faith to be real and vital. Dead works avail nothing. They show no life from God. But we are in no way justified by our works. Who are we justified by? Christ. Christ and Him alone. Our works are evidence of our faith. 
And religious folks stumble over this precious truth. They stumble over it. They stumble. That we believe that our works can in no way gain us merit and favor with God, but that they are evidence of our faith. So let's go back to our verse in Colossians 1.29. And let's look at this in light of this and pray that God the Holy Spirit will illuminate this scripture and teach us of Christ and teach us of his mighty power, of his mighty power which works in each believer. As I said, a lot of folks will tell you what, what they're doing or what they've done and about how righteous they are compared to others. Look at what this verse says here in Colossians 1.29. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. And that is tied in with the verses above. Being Christ, which worketh in me mightily. I remember Brother Henry saying this. And this stuck with me. I shared it with Sister Kara earlier tonight. That if one worm is comparing himself to another worm? Sinner comparing himself to another sinner? We can look pretty good. We can always find another worm that's worse than us. Right? Always. But, when this worm compares himself with Christ, oh my. Oh we fall desperately short, hopelessly short of God's standard. How perfect do we have to be to get into heaven? As perfect as God. Good news, though. The believers clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Clothed in His perfect righteousness. As perfect as God we have to be. As perfect as Christ. And we worms fall very short. Very short of perfection is everything that we do is tainted with sin. Everything. If a person thinks that he's better than someone else, all his works are just as tainted with sin as the person he's accusing that he does does better works. They're all. We're sinners. Spurgeon said, I sin enough from my getting out of my bed, going to the breakfast table to damn a thousand souls. Now that's a man who had a perspective on sin. And what we were talking about too earlier, sister, about we know what we are. God has revealed to us that we are sinners in desperate, desperate need of Christ. In desperate need of Him. I ask you this, beloved. You who are redeemed, in light of this, I ask you this. Do you sin more than you want to? Do you loathe and despise sin more in yourself? than in anyone else. We can all say amen. All of us. Oh my. And you know that Paul had the same struggle as we do? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, this is Paul the Apostle. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but, but with the flesh the law of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. 
Now, false religions will tell you to look within yourself. I was talking to a dear brother today from back in Oregon. And he was telling me he remembered one time when he was out talking to people about Christ that he, he ran into this, this Buddhist guy who was teaching, teaching other people his poison. And, and the Buddhist was telling those who were listening that they must look within. They must look within. Look within yourself. Now, what do we see when we look within? Oh, my. Nothing but sin in our natural state. And the whole, now the whole scheme of salvation is totally dependent upon a man, right? Totally dependent upon a man. The man, Christ Jesus. And it looks, religion, workspace, work, oh, I'm sorry, workspace salvation is totally dependent upon man. Totally dependent upon man. And it looks inward for all hope and happiness and help and holiness. We look outward to a man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Nothing but sin in our natural state. In workspace religion makes man the principal object of worship. Workspace religion makes man the principal object of preeminence. In workspace religion makes man the principal object for all glory. But what does grace do? What does grace do? Grace gives Christ all the, all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the preeminence. He gets it all. Now look at Paul's response. Turn, if you would, to Romans 7. Let's look there. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, right? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7, verse 24 and 25. Who shall deliver me? He's, he's, he's got this battle within him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> He's got this battle within him. The new man versus, versus the flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am. Have, I, I know I've been there. Who shall deliver me from, this, from the body of this death? And look, he doesn't look inward, does he? Look where he looks. He doesn't look inward. He looks out and up. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He looks to Christ. He looks to Him. He looks to the one who is victorious. The one who has conquered sin for His people. Who's paid the price that God's demanded for all the sins of all the elect. Once. Once. Grace preaching tells you to look away from yourself and look to Christ. He is the only hope for sinners. And the whole scheme of God's salvation is dependent upon Christ and Him alone. Nowhere else. You look nowhere else. He is the appointed mediator. He is the sinner's surety. He is the sinner's substitute. He is the sinner's redeemer. And He has purchased His people with His own precious blood. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Jesus Christ is the principal object 
of all worship, preeminence, and glory for His people. You see how it's the opposite of works-based religion? Oh, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grand design of God's salvation is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to John 17. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 17, verses 4 and 5. 4 and 5. John 17, verses 4 and 5. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. The grand design of God's salvation is to give God all the glory. All the praise. Do we not worship our King? Do we not just bow down before Him with grateful and thankful hearts? I was talking to a young man today who came to visit and asked just asked some questions about the church here. And one of the things that we talked about is that religion says that God looked down through time and, and saw who would choose Him. And I told the young man as we were talking, I said, when God looked down through time, all he saw was a bunch of sinners. Dead and trespasses and sin. And he said, I'll have mercy on you all. I'll have mercy on Gary. I'll have mercy on Nancy. I'll have mercy on Nancy. He chose each one. And we, he saw us dead in trespasses and sins. What a wonderful, wonderful, amazing Savior we have. Let's go back to our verse in chap, chapter 1, verse 29. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul's strength came from Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he knew that if he labored in his own strength, it would be all for naught. All for naught. Oh my. Turn, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Paul was ordained by God to preach and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in our closing verse in chapter 1, we see where Paul's strength came from. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Spurgeon says on the verse in Colossians, he says this, There will never be any mighty work come from us, unless there be first a mighty work in us. In us. No man truly labors for souls unless the Holy Ghost has first wrought mightily in him. Oh, look at Zechariah 4, 6, and 7. 
Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor power, not by any man's doing, not by any man's strength, not by might nor power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace! Grace! Unto it. Salvation is of the Lord. And it's not by man's might. It's not by man's power. It is by the power of the Holy Ghost regenerating dead sinners. Oh, ye must be born again. And so Paul says in our text in Colossians 1.29, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul had been entrusted by God. And if anyone gets up to teach and preach, remember, you're entrusted by God to proclaim the gospel of God's free grace in Christ alone. Oh, what an honor. Oh, what a privilege never to be taken lightly. And Paul says, whereunto I also labor striving. Paul labored in word and doctrine by preaching Christ, by preaching Christ, warning sinners of their danger, teaching them the way of salvation in Christ alone, proclaiming Christ's death upon the cross and the shedding of His precious blood to save His people from their sins and proclaiming repentance and faith in Christ Jesus alone for salvation. Oh, he, he labored, striving. Paul loved the Christ of the Gospel. Therefore, he labored in proclaiming our Lord Jesus Christ in Him alone. The Greek word for labor here means to work hard. To work hard. And the Greek word for striving means this, to enter a contest, contend in the gymnastic games, to contend with adversaries, fight. Metaphorically, to contend, to struggle with difficulties and dangers, to endeavor with strenuous zeal, strive to obtain something. I remember when I first moved here, Brother John took me to a wrestling match Whereas what we were watching his two grandsons, two of his grandsons, they were competing. And I was struck as I watched them. As I watched them wrestle. They struggled with each other. They grappled. And I remember John and I talked about how this was a picture. This was a picture of the Christian life. And how we struggle and we battle through this life on earth as we run the race that is set before us. Hebrews says this, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which, which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking it is. Remember Buddhism and all that? Tells you to look in, right? 
What's grace? What do grace preachers tell you? Look to Christ, right? Here's a grace preacher. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now Paul was an apostle called by God to preach. Whereunto I also labor, striving. He was, he was an apostle called by God to preach the gospel. And he labored diligently, beloved. He labored diligently in the ministry which the Lord had called him, called him to and placed him in. Called him to and placed him in. He counted all that he did as a Pharisee, remember? He counted all that he did as a Pharisee as nothing but done. All the religious attainments. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had, he had obtained a, a wealthy position. And he, he counted all that he accomplished as nothing. Nothing but done. And we who come out of religion feel exactly the same way. <laughs> exactly the same way. Paul labored and strived more abundantly than all the apostles. But let us note this. He never drew attention to himself. Never drew attention to himself. He had one mission. He had one calling from the captain of his salvation. And this was to preach and proclaim Christ Jesus and Him crucified to a lost and dying world. And beloved, when He preached or when He taught or when He wrote letters to the church, He gave the Lord Jesus Christ all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Just read His epistles. It's incredible. He was Christocentric. (laughs) That's what he wants. And we looked at earlier the meanings of the Greek words for labor and striving found in our text. And striving means to labor fervently, to contend with an adversary, to fight. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now Paul did all that he did and suffered painful persecutions from the enemies he fought against because of his loving, zealous dedication to our sovereign Lord and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. His sincere desire is to glorify God, to glorify his suffering Savior in the preaching of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us ponder these things. As Paul is writing to the Colossians, let us ponder, as we we look at our text in um, Colossians 1.29, let us ponder some of the things that Paul went through for the preaching of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they, are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. 
Thrice I, was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck a night and a day. I have been in the deep. In journeyings, often in perils of water and perils of robbers. In perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. All this he endured for our great King, for the furtherance of the Gospel. 27. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. We looked at earlier in the study how Paul, Paul he, prayed for, he prayed for churches. He prayed for God's people amongst the different churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Arteus, the king kept the city of the Damascus with a garrison, desires to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. All these struggles, all these labors, Paul went through for the preaching and proclaiming of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul contended with his opponents and overcame them by enduring, which was all by the power of God working in him. And I'll read our text again tonight. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered. Remember all he went through. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. All Paul's laboring, all Paul's striving, was all by the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in him. Let's look again at our verse tonight. And let us remember that, as this was true for the Apostle Paul, so it is true for every, every single child of God. We need His strength. We need His working. Spurgeon again said, if I could fall, I'd fall a thousand times a day. And the hymn that is able to keep. Falling. 
present your bodies before his throne with exceeding joy. Oh, what a mighty Savior. What a mighty Savior. We labor and we strive not according to our own power and strength, but according to the grace and strength which he gives. Again, our verse says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. According to his working. And again, that's tied in. Look at verse 28. Whom we preach, warn in every man, and we know that's Christ, but this from the end of verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. Warn in every man, and teach in every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. According to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Let us note here in our text that Paul tells us that all his laboring and all his striving in preaching and proclaiming the gospel and in living a Christian life comes not by his own power, but by God working in him mightily. And it's true for every one of God's people. He keeps us. He keeps us. It was all according to his working, God's working, which worked in him mightily. All Paul's prayers and all his preaching and any success in his ministry was powerfully wrought in him by God. See, we can't boast in anything but Christ. (laughs) Do you see how it shuts us to ourselves? It's magnificent. It's absolutely magnificent. It gives God all the glory. And it gives Him all the praise. And it makes us so grateful that He saved us. (laughs) That He had mercy on us. That He redeemed us from all our sins. All. And this is the good news we proclaim to sinners. It's just hard to find sinners nowadays. But oh, if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of someone, And if he reveals to them what they are, they will run to Christ, born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And we will rejoice with them. We will rejoice with them. Oh, all the power in in, in Paul's preaching and all the power in, in the ministry all comes from God. His endurance, remember the whole list of things that we read? His endurance to endure all those things. All those things. His running the race until its end. His fighting the good fight of faith was all done not in his strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians 1, 19-20. The power of preaching Christ was enabled by God. It was all by his power. Enabled him to preach the gospel far and wide, in season and out of season. <laughs> oh my. Look at Ephesians 1.19. And look at this. That same power. That same power for all believers. In what? Verse 19, chapter 1, 19 and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now remember when we did our study on this verse, there's three different Greek words. 
here used for power. And they all disable man's ability. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Now, now think of our verse. Whereunto I also labor striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. Tie that in with this verse. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So for the believer, the power I've spoken of in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, that, that is the same power that works faith in the believer, is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is the same faith or same power that, that raised Jesus from the grave. And that is the same power that's spoken of in our text. Oh my. God is in absolute control. Oh, don't you don't you rejoice? The same power which gives Paul the power to labor, striving, and works according according to, to God's will within him, works mightily in Paul, is the same power that works in every redeemed child of God. The power of the Holy Spirit of God. And turn with you to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. The response for the believer is to praise him, to praise God. And the believer says this with Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. And then put your finger in, 2 Corinthians, and that'll be the last place we'll turn tonight. 1 Corinthians 15.10, no, this is the response for the believer, is to praise Him, to give Him all the glory, knowing that it's God working within us. Look at this. Look at this, beloved. You remember when we were dead in trespasses and sins? Look at this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. In His grace which was bestowed upon me, it's a gift of God, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Oh, there's the source of Paul's power. Paul knew that any good that came from him was the result of the Lord Jesus Christ working in him. And I ask you, beloved God, is it not the same for us? Oh my. Oh my. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there if you could. And put your finger in 2 Corinthians 13. And I will read Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, if you want to write it down for reference. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and do his good pleasure. And then look at 2 Corinthians 12.9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions in distress for Christ's sake, for when I am weak. This is the opposite of what the world thinks. Isn't it? For when I'm weak, oh, then I'm strong. Then am I strong because God's Holy Spirit works in the believer. And in turn, if you would, one chapter over, God's power, His Holy Spirit works in the believer. 2 Corinthians 13, verses 3 and 4. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you, word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lived by the power of God. For we, are, we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Mercy. 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 And we'll tie that in again with Philippians 2. I'll read that one more time. For it is God which worketh in you. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do of His good pleasure. And now this wonderful truth, this wonderful truth that Paul wrote of applies to all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This wonderful truth in the very last last sentence, the last text, the last verse of Colossians 1, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his workings, which worketh in me mightily. This wonderful truth that Paul wrote of applies to all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have the hope of glory. We have the hope of glory. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory, who is working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's marvelous. It's the opposite of what man thinks. It's the total opposite of what... It's the total opposite of works-based religion. Nothing good dwells in our flesh. The only good that is in us is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. And God is the one who has given us the Spirit of adoption, which He Himself predestinated before the world was. Why? What a Savior! What a Gospel! What power. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. And it's all for the glory of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord.